0: All right. Okay. So, let me introduce my guest for today's podcast. His name is Richard Sellis and he describes himself as a honest pirate helping content creators attract their tribe with their vibe. He's a former social media video content editor at CNE Media and owner of a Videographica, a broadcast media company. Actually, he's working with a lot of different things and he currently has going on going on a community of C- which he calls Creasphere. Sorry if I pronounce that wrong. Uh, where he teaches creative strategists how to do creative strategy by doing it. Hope I got that right. Welcome, Richard. Yeah,
1: Sounds great to me.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you here. Oh, well, thank you and for after having lo- me. Yeah, after a lot, a lot of time because we tried a lot to get on the, this call and hopefully we made it possible.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, you know, sometimes life gets in the way and we gotta yeah. rearrange schedules, but we're here now. Definitely.
0: So I will jump directly into the questions. Like uh, Absolutely. How would
1: you define content strategy? How would I define content strategy? Well, you know, essentially what a content strategy is, it is a documented plan, Mm -hmm. which is going to give you a roadmap for all your marketing endeavors using content that have very specific goals attached to them. So it's a very intentional plan for your content to achieve business goals. Mm -hmm.
0: That sounds interesting. So uh, let's suppose we are in the process of building a brand. And Mm -hmm. uh, where do you think the content strategy fits in? Like, does it fit after a brand strategy or should you do this before brand strategy or with the brand strategy or should you do this after you have done brand identity and you know who your target audience is? like after all that stuff is done. So where do you think content strategy fits in?
1: Well, it's an interesting question there. Um, Me personally, I believe content strategy happens after a brand strategy Mm -hmm. for several reasons. Um, One, you got to understand who you are first in order to communicate your vision to the world or your values to the world or your purpose to the world. And in addition, there are some elements of a brand strategy and content strategy that synergize, for instance, both require you to know your ideal audience. Mm-hmm. Because in my opinion, brand strategy is very internal first, while content strategy is very external, because you're focusing on the audience. Yeah. And once you have your audience in mind, you can easily do your content strategy, but you also have to understand who you are first. Otherwise, all the content you put out there might not necessarily represent what it is you are or what it is you want to portray about yourself and you're focusing only on your audience. Therefore, after your brand strategy is done, it will definitely make your content strategy much easier. If you do your content strategy first, it can be done, it's just you might not be getting the results that you want as fast or even getting undesired results that aren't necessarily Mm -hmm. resonating with your business goals.
0: Yeah and like in the brand strategy we try to like pull out uh, authentic stuff from the brand like what's your real story so we may ask questions like uh, like this i would like to term it like we are a brand therapist and we're trying to figure out what your story is so how big is a
1: part of the content strategy like how much their story matters So in the content strategy, it's not so much about your story as it is about your audience's story. Okay. Because as I mentioned, content is very external focused because you really have to know the lives of your ideal audience, really understand their pains, their desires, and you're going to talk to those and the stories that you're going to use in your content to resonate with the audience because you're going to make your stories as relatable to your audience as possible Therefore, they're going to stay watching, consuming your content. And then within that content is your messages about your services or maybe messages about your own personality Mm -hmm. and making yourself relatable to the audience so they can connect and see themselves in your stories. But ultimately, in the end, all your content should be focused on your audience. And if you're going to be doing anything personal about yourself, you have to make yourself relatable in order for your audience to connect with you. Mm -hmm.
0: That's interesting. yeah, you were saying something. Sorry, if I
1: interrupt. Oh, it's just yeah, just kind of reiterating the port, uh, the point that brand is internal primarily, and then content is external primarily. Okay,
0: so let's suppose uh, as you're saying, the content strategy is about the audience and getting into their shoes and telling the story mm-hmm. from their point of view. Yep. So let's suppose we are working with a new brand who's just starting out, and they're trying to figure out like dipping their toes in different fields, trying to figure out who their tribe is. Like what mm-hmm. you say, like who their tribe is. So how can they bring out the stories? Like for most of the brands they do not have any customer testimonials and stuff like that. So what's mm-hmm. the content strategy for them?
1: Okay, I wanna make sure I understand your question correctly. Sure, um, this is a new brand. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily have a well-defined audience yet. They're, they're yeah. just, they're. Basically playing the field to figure out who their audience is, Mm -hmm. if I understood you. And in that situation, if they don't have a clearly defined audience, it's very hard to have a content strategy because almost your entire strategy is going to be built on your audience profile and understanding the, the customer journey or audience journey. And if that's not there, that's the foundation of a content strategy so therefore your all your content at that point is really just throwing things at the wall to see what sticks so mm-hmm. in the beginning it's very experimental yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that because if you don't know your audience that's okay i would highly suggest just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks what resonates with people for maybe at least 30 days at minimum and mm-hmm. then go back and review and do an audit and figure out which pieces of content are working And reverse engineer it, understand why it's working and who Mm -hmm. it's working for, and then double down on that and understand those people and start talking to them and that can become your audience. Then you start getting more intentional and structured with a strategy for your content because now you have some insights into this audience and you understand them better, you understand why they want this type of content, what is working for them, what isn't working for them because ultimately that's the foundation of your content. Therefore. If you're a new brand, you don't know your audience, I would more focus on your internal and focus on yourself and your knowledge and share that with people, but you got to find it in a way that has your own personal touch to it. Mm-hmm. Because I've noticed, especially now with just the proliferation, the massive amounts of brand strategists out there now, yeah. everyone's kind of telling you the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And it's it's like if you're not telling anything new and you're repeating the same type of information someone else is already doing, what must be done is if you're going to communicate that same message or same golden nugget that's been everywhere already, put a twist on it. Put your own personal twist on it. Make it personal to you that people can relate to. Therefore, Mm -hmm. it makes the content more valuable because it now has this your own personal touch to it that is relatable to you and ideally people will resonate with you more so than the information that's already been regurgitated multiple times. Therefore, experiment, experiment, experiment in the beginning if you Mm -hmm. don't know your audience and then based on that, review your content, analyze it, really, really take a deep hard look at it and understand who's watching it and why they're watching it. And then from that information, you can start building your content strategy.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, that should be the most actionable step. Like you throw everything out there and figure out if I'm getting this right from your answer that you, you have to experiment a lot. And then, so that's the part there. Like uh, when I'm working with certain brands, let's say they are a tech startup uh-huh. and they want to appeal to a massive audience. Like they want to sell their products to everyone. So that's the case there. Even if the niche down, they do not want to offend anyone Uh, without disclosing any name. This is what I heard from like CMO of the brand. Like we Mm want to include everyone. We are not discriminatory. We do not discriminate with anyone and whatever trend is going on in the world, we are with it. We are not against the wind. So how do you think this uh, like corporate theme, like we have to please everyone works with the content strategy?
1: Let me ask, is that business is that business successful? They're just trying they're, out. I'm not sure in, that how
0: long they will be successful.
1: <laughs> so th- this is very typical. Um, I'm surprised a CMO says that because they should know better. Mm-hmm. Most companies just want to make money. And mm-hmm. I find this a lot in brands or companies that don't have a well-defined purpose or brand strategy because if they did, they would be... Principle and value driven and they would be more focused on The type of content or even the audience that they're trying to serve these it sounds to me for this particular company They're just like hey, we're open for business. We can help you. We'll take anybody. Yeah Uh, That's it sounds like oh, yeah, we don't want to exclude anyone because we want to make as much money as we can Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way because when you say hey, I'm for everybody everyone's like well, who cares? You're, You're just generic And how are you gonna help me specifically? Because I'm looking for something very specific for someone very specific who understands me to help solve my problem. And it appears to me, you just help anybody off the street. So why would I wanna go to you? Mm -hmm. Like, you're not talking to me. I'm looking for this person over here who's speaking my language while you're just talking generic. Therefore, when people niche down you end up targeting a very specific person and talking to them to attract them to get your business started. It doesn't mean you deny other people (laughs) your services if they come talking to you because you're still gonna accept them. You're just not really positioning and promoting your services to those people. Granted, Mm -hmm. when you do niche down to a specific person, there are parallel industries, parallel people next to the one you're targeting Therefore, you might attract some of them, they'll come to you as well. That's why I think um, most people visualize niching and targeting as a little target, like a bullseye. So if you're aiming for that little tiny bullseye as your main target, there's other rings around it. And you're not going to hit that bullseye every time. You're going to hit those little other outer rings next to it, and it's fine. Mm -hmm. Those customers are good too. The problem is when you're completely missing the target and you're shooting off to the left, shooting off to the right, and you're just like not even in the same area, that's when you're a problem because that's what happens when you're not niching. You're just literally shooting over here, shooting over there, shooting over here, shooting behind me, just throwing stuff up in the air, and maybe it hits the target, maybe it doesn't. There's a great Zig Ziglar quote I like a lot. He says, I'm gonna butcher this a bit, so. No worries. Says, if you're not aiming at the target, you'll never miss. Yeah. Because you have no intention of in what you're shooting at, you're just like, mm-hmm. whatever. And when you have that like hey we're going to serve everybody that comes across to the clients and audience like hey whatever they don't really care they'll take anybody so if they don't really care why should i care about them
0: Yeah that's interesting definitely uh, for me i think that uh, if you want uh, like if you want to create your tribe then you have to take the risk to offend someone because correct if you are saying anything and you want you want to try to please everyone you will not connect directly with anyone. Yep. So,
1: yeah. It, I see it the same as a personal relationship, either mm-hmm. in in like your friendships or your dating or whatever. You can't go out and be a people pleaser and please everyone, yeah. right? It, it's just not, I don't think it's psychologically possible mm-hmm. because there's people out there you just don't like in general because either the way they think or the way they behave, you're just like, oh, like I might have to be, I might, have to work with them because we're in the same company but doesn't mean I have to like you and vice versa there's some people you really like oh you're so cool man I want to hang out with you that's the kind those are your clients that you want like they want they want you to be so cool like hey man you're really cool I like what you're saying let's hang out sometime versus like oh this guy is a total douche get out of here right and if you're trying to be friends with really cool people and people, you just are disgusting, you like, ugh, you're not going to, everyone in the middle is like, why, why are you doing that? Like, I'm not down with that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think in the start, uh, as I was starting as a content creator, my strategy was that I want to create a palatable content, which a wide mm-hmm. range of people can use. And I have seen, like, uh, there, there are some interesting creators on various social media platforms, that they use some strong language, they show their personality through their content. Mm-hmm. Like if someone is very, we can say, doesn't like af- afraid of using some strong words, like F words and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it shows authenticity while there are some people who will create tutorials and content like that. And they mm-hmm. are not able to build a community around that because it, you might have to take the risk to offend anyone, but. You will attract the people who vibe with you, and that's what I feel. So for the like uh, a brand who's just starting out, and they do not have let's say a big or they do not yet know that what their main story is, what should they, they should go with. So s- how,
1: s- repeat that last.
0: They don't They don't know their what. Their main story, like what they should focus on. Let's say they do ah, brand okay, strategy, okay. and mm-hmm. they figure out like we are like a good content creator. We want to please everyone. Mm-hmm. But how do you pull out that story? Like your X factor. So is there any way to pull out their the X factor, their past story? Because a lot of people do not want to offend anyone. So as a brand therapist or a brand strategist, we have to figure pull that story out. Some, for me, because it gets difficult to pull that story out. So what's your strategy on that?
1: Sure. Um, there's a couple of things happening. Let me see if I unpack it correctly. One mm-hmm. was... I'm hearing is a new brand. They don't want to offend anyone. Yeah, was one, and the second part of that was how can they communicate their authenticity through their stories. Um, to answer the first question, don't want to offend anyone. Sounds to me they're coming from a place of fear. When you come from a place of fear and you let fear dictate your decisions, that's a bad place to be. Fear is not a great um, is not great for your mind, essentially. Granted, humans have survived off fear for I don't know how many millennia. It's in our DNA to some degree. But for me, I do my best not to let fear dictate my decisions. Uh, I do what I can to allow positivity and love and what's best for the situation to to decide what what my choice is. And then for the second part of how to find your voice or your authenticity via stories. What's worked for me in the past, and I I do this with my clients as well, is look to your past. Mm -hmm. Is really look through your life at these keystone moments whether you transformed or an event happened to you and you handled the situation very differently than you normally would or there's these moments in time through your history that were very important to you that you can remember as if they were yesterday. Those are the stories you want to document, write down. Or if you do, like I do, I like to dictate because it's faster for me. And then I'll have my audio transcribed. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm able to read it as if I'm reading a book because it allows me to disassociate from my own story as opposed to listening to my own voice because it's kind of weird. Yeah. Therefore, when I'm able to read it, when it's written out, I can highlight it, I can cross things out, I can write notes and annotations and it allows me to really dig deep and analyze these stories as if I'm a third person and find these patterns and connections that like, wow, this is interesting. This happened to me when I was five years old. This happened to me when I was 10 years old. This happened to me when I was 25 years old. And there's this common thread through all of them. This is fascinating. And you'll start seeing all of these golden threads throughout your different stories. Mm-hmm. And that is you. That's your character at your core. It doesn't matter what age or what circumstance. There's these common threads throughout all your stories. And once you find that... That's when you become aware. And once you become aware of those things, then that's what you're going to use to communicate because that's who you are. Most of the time, us as humans, we go about life. We don't see these things because it's just who we are. We just kind of take it for granted because I am who I am and you are who you are. And a lot of us don't take the time to reflect and look on our past, let alone read and dictate our own life story back to ourselves because it seems a little awkward and egotistical, Mm -hmm. but in order to get that new perspective on who you are, it has to be done. Therefore, that's what I did and through that, I was able to understand myself better and I was able to grow because now I'm more aware of certain character traits or even bad habits that I had Mm -hmm. that I'm now working to eliminate. Therefore, when I communicate my messaging and my stories now, I have this core element that I inject in every story now because it's the essence of my character. And for me, it's always been about belonging and connecting with people. All my stories through my past, with the exception of a few that are just me for me's sake, but most of them have always been motivated by connecting to other people, whether it was through traveling or with a group of friends or doing certain activities. Ultimately, the underlying motivation was always to connect with people and build relationships. So that has become a core essence of my purpose now is to always connect people and build relationships. Therefore, yeah. mine your past. What worked for me is think about 10 milestone moments in your life, depending how old you are. like I'm in my mid-40s now, so I've got a little more, I guess you could say, timeline to, to mine. Mm-hmm. And Even if you're young, if you're in your 20s, that's fine. Even in your teens, you have at least a decade worth, and over time, you'll get more, and they will change. But the easiest thing to do is think about those ones that you just remember right away. Like it could be any age. It's just they have such an emotional attachment because I believe emotions are the glue to memory. Mm-hmm. Therefore, focus on those first. And you don't have to write the whole story out. Just do a headline or a note just describing to trigger the mind. Like, oh yeah, that time when you know my fourth birthday and I got whatever. And then over time, then you start refining it and then you can start mining it. And you'll find what you need to look for, and that is who you are. That is the core of your authenticity. So let me uh, let me. Say Sorry, that was I, a lot. <laughs> yeah,
0: if I got it right, uh, I am seeing the certain similarities between what Steve Jobs said about connecting the dots. Hmm. So, do you think how easy is easy is it, it is for oneself to self-diagnose, or should you hire someone to help you on that? Because I've noticed a lot of creators say that it's we are our worst client. We cannot do a strategy <laughs> on ourselves, and I've tried can, this because it takes a lot of time, and you feel like what else I'm missing. Like if someone is there and asks you a lot of questions, targeted questions, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you do with any other client, then mm-hmm. you realize. So how difficult it is
1: for oneself to do a strategy on oneself? I will speak from experience. Uh-huh. It's extremely hard. Um, I tried it for a year. And from, my, from what I experienced and what I found out is you can only get so far. There are psychoanalyzing yourself. You have too many biases and blind spots mm-hmm. that either you just don't know exist or you're subconsciously ignoring because you don't want to deal with it. Therefore, I do not recommend self-diagnosing. You can do self-reflection. Yeah. I highly recommend self-diagnosing. I do not definitely seek an outside perspective because the other person will see things you do not see and they can also act as a mirror where they will project back to you what you said, but because they said it, it makes sense. (laughs) The mind works in mysterious ways because you can tell yourself all day and never believe yourself, but as soon as you tell to someone else and they repeat it back to you, it's like, click, oh yeah, I get it now. It's our minds are, are weird like that. Nonetheless, there's that Melinda Livesley coat. You can only see the label. If, when you only see the label from the inside of the bottle, you can't see the outside of it. Mm-hmm. It's very similar. You can look inside yourself, but you're only going to see so much. And then when you have someone from the outside looking at you, they can see these spots that you don't see. And in addition, it's nice to know what... it's a, This is going to be a slippery, slippery slope, but it's nice to know at least from people you trust what they think of you or how they perceive you because you have a perception of yourself which you think you're projecting out to the world and if people tell you like hey this is how i see you and there's a disconnect there's something either in your own communication which you're missing or something else is going on versus this is what i want to project in the world and the people and they tell you hey this is what i see and it's perfectly aligned then you know it's working. Like, oh, okay, then I'm being true to myself. So it's a good way to test your own perception Mm -hmm. of yourself and how others see you. But, you know, you don't necessarily have to care about what strangers see you, but it is nice to get a couple strangers' point of view because it's so non-objective. They don't know you. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they can only give you a first impression or what I like to see uh, Malcolm Gladwell calls uh, thin slicing from his book Blink, which is a phenomenal book about intuition. Okay. Um so this it it's interesting. It's definitely get someone to help you. It will they will be able to ask you the hard questions you're not willing to ask yourself. Mhm.
0: Yeah. About the hard questions. Let's say as a brand strategist you have to ask a lot of hard questions to the your client. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes it can be difficult like they might be too closed and they might not be ready to answer that questions so what your strategy to asking that hard questions like we'll need these answers
1: um well i mean i don't per se have a strategy for asking questions uh, hmm. Or is it in the questions like
0: how you frame it
1: to pull okay out yeah the that r- i can i can play with um definitely make the questions open-ended Never Mm -hmm. ask a question that that can be answered yes or no. Always make the question personal to that person Mm -hmm. that forces them to reflect and think about what they're going to say. Not like, hey, are you hungry today? (laughs) Yes, I'm hungry. (laughs) Okay, now what? Or instead of asking, are you hungry? Hey, um, what kind of food do you like to eat? Or what cuisine do you enjoy most? Now they can sit there and think, ah, oh, you know what? Um, I really love Japanese cuisine because of the fresh fish and blah, 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 blah. It makes them think more critically and give you a more in-depth answer versus yes and no. So always ask open-ended questions because you want people to dig deep to understand. And the heart of the question, especially emotionally triggered ones, make sure you give the person time to think and breathe if there's long periods of awkward silence, just revel in it. Don't try to fill the silence. Let them sit there and think. Granted, if it's like three, four minutes, like, hey, is okay? Is everything all right? You know, but you know, if it's like 10, 30, 40 seconds, it's okay. Um, in regards to questions, phenomenal book, The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay Bung- Steiner. Mm-hmm. It's just a book of seven questions. I use those questions in my discovery calls and they tend to reveal a whole lot and they are open ended questions and they're so simple and you can even use it on yourself as mm-hmm. long as you're being true in your answers. Yeah.
0: That's something interesting because I have faced that the awkward silences. Let's say <laughs> I, I ask a question and there's a long pause and they're thinking they're going back in their mind. Mhm and they pull out, sometimes they pull out the story you are not expecting.
1: Yeah, like, and those are the gems, those are the yeah. best.
0: And you feel like, I got you. <laughs> you, you, you have <laughs> sent me the gold nugget. This is what I was waiting for. So I don't know who was saying that, but uh, most of their clients uh, after the strategy session are teary. Like yeah. they feel like it's been so, is there any interesting story which has happened with you? Because. I've never made a client cry yet. So is there an <laughs> st- emotional story? Uh, yeah, I've got
1: a, quite a few. I've made quite a few clients <laughs> cry. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not cry in a bad way. Yeah. Um it, it's the first time it happened it was I felt kind of terrible because I didn't intend them to cry. Mm-hmm. It we were digging into values. And I had an aha moment myself because I learned something new and just the sheer power of a story. So, one of my exercises I do for purpose, I have people write their own eulogy or obituary, so pretend it's 100 years and they're dead, and what achievements do you want, right? And at the end of my brand strategy, I, I end on values, and we extract values out of the story they did in the beginning, and I, we review it, and I highlight key values, and then, okay, there's a value I found. Tell me a story about this specific value. Why is this important to you? And they'll sit there and they'll dig back, and there's these deep-seated emotional stories. And when they start telling them one after the other, they become overwhelmed with emotion. And because they're so deeply connected to these stories that experiences in their lives, they get teary-eyed. Yeah. And it translates. I start getting get teary-eyed. I'm like, okay. And just try to hold those tears in. Because yeah. it, it's, it's fascinating because... Brand strategy, whether you're doing a personal personal branding, I like a lot more than organizational branding because organizational branding, you don't get those deep emotions as much because you're dealing mm-hmm. with a group of people or you're just dealing with a founder and why they started a company versus a personal brand where you're getting deep into their life. And when you're diving into these past emotional moments, emotions tend to physically manifest, usually through tears. It's yeah. not might not necessarily be sadness. It could be mixed emotions of sadness and joy and fear and other things because you're tapping in to maybe a story they forgot about or haven't talked about in a long time or maybe never even verbally expressed it to anyone else. Therefore, they're giving you these very open, vulnerable moments to someone they don't necessarily know that well, But and they're even paying you, which is even weirder, right? You have this role of almost being a therapist at times, Mm -hmm. especially when you're deeping into the internal brand. Because you're tapping into their past, yeah. And it's there's a uh, I don't want to say it's funny, but within my my icon of my logo, it's an R and a C, but the C is kind of cut and looks like a teardrop. Mm-hmm. And now I use it as a story, like, hey, yeah, I it has a teardrop there because I make people cry during my <laughs> sessions. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. It's really important to connect emotionally with your client, mm-hmm. and when you and- are like you. Just like a therapist, you make them vulnerable. So that should be, I think, to figure out the deep truth, you have to dig deeper and find out what their main story is. Because there's a story which they tell to everyone, and there's a deep cause within them which rarely comes out to brand. And for this, the brand strategy and paired it with the content strategy, that's really necessary.
1: Exactly, exactly. I was going to say, like these people, if you are able to get that deep with your client, they end up having these catharsis moments where they are now healed to some degree. And if it was a traumatic experience or just a a really fond memory they haven't expressed in a while, it revitalizes them and kind of gives them a newfound passion as well. And they also become excited about their brand at that point because now to them, it has a deeper meaning and they're able to express it and communicate it better To their audience because now they're more in tune and aware of what it means to them. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a deep stuff.
0: And uh, sometimes, let's say, I'm a new strategist. So sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm not prepared for that emotional stuff that's coming out. And sometimes I'm barely able to hold myself because I don't know how to respond to this. So is there any way to like, channel this through and uh, what's your like approach on that
1: um, yeah I mean the first time it happened to me I wasn't prepared for it at all uh, I didn't expect that to happen and to be honest I didn't know that was something that would happen in a brand strategy therefore I was completely unprepared and caught off guard myself now that I've gone through it several times what I can say is be empathic, right? Really listen, not just attentively listen to every word they're saying, but also listen to the underlying emotions that are not being said and give the people space to express those emotions because that's what it's really about. It's not just the stories themselves, it's the feelings underneath it that are not being spoken but are being expressed and either their mannerisms or their tone of voice And when you are there, you must be able to read those on the subconscious level and take it in, accept it, Mm -hmm. and thank them for expressing those feelings. And make sure you also acknowledge the feelings that they're expressing to you so you validate them, which gives them, it empowers them to open up even more because they are giving you very vulnerable moments and you are there to receive it, accept it, thank them, and recognize and affirm them so they continue i i had no idea it was going to be like that i was told yeah you know it can get emotional i was like yeah yeah whatever then a happy you like oh my god what do i do you kind of freeze up because
0: yeah
1: yeah it, it's happening oh my god it's like it, it's as if like a best friend came to you with a very deep-seated problem and they're just sobbing and crying and you're sitting there like oh my god what do i do you just kind of give them a hug and pat their back but you're just kind of frozen you don't know what to do and most of the time you just gotta be there and be that shoulder for them to lean on and accept it and just do what you can to comfort them, acknowledge them so they continue, because you really want them to dump all that out so you can document it because that's what's gonna be the foundation of their brand. Yeah.
0: It's just like therapy. I I go back to this <laughs> line that we are a therapist. If you recognize that as a therapist or not, but we are a therapist. Yeah, that's
1: interesting. It stuff. really is. And Unfortunately, I don't think it is um, taught that way. When you learn brand strategy, we're mostly taught like frameworks and strategies and this and that, but a lot of it is emotion. And if you are not an empathic person or have empathic listening skills or know how to accept emotions, that is a huge part of it and is a psychological aspect because we're dealing with people's minds And emotions and connecting the two therefore there's a has to be a level or fundamental understanding of how they connect and work and I didn't get that until much later luckily my training tapped into that a bit so Mm -hmm. I had a fundamental understanding but not like a true true deep understanding Um, not like a psych not like a psychology degree anything like that but at least service level basic 101 psychology and emotions will go a long way in brand strategy for sure
0: yeah that's really Important, and what do you think is missing from a lot of new strategists? I, I hope you have worked with a lot of strate- new strategies, and you treat these them strategy. So, what do you
1: think that they miss when starting out? Uh, th- th- to me, this is easy because uh, I was in the same boat uh-huh. when I started learning strategy. Everyone tends to learn from the same or similar sources, whether it's a course or a book, right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty much how most people are going to learn strategy, but no one has a way to apply it. And most people are too scared to do their first strategy for a client, even if it's for a friend or something. But ultimately you got to do it to start diet. Once you learn whatever you're learning, apply it as soon as possible. So if you learn a new exercise or learn some sort of framework, apply it the next day. Just, just get out there and do it as fast as possible. That's what I did when I first started learning. I I did immediately a week later after I started learning, I formed a study group and then every week we'd meet and we would just all share what we learned and and apply it in a group setting. It was a safe environment. It was great to make mistakes because it was a learning experience. So it was okay Mm -hmm. to fail and it wasn't like a high risk situation. Therefore, practice, practice, practice. You have to practice it. If you don't apply it, it's just theory and knowledge and you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Therefore, the more you apply it, the deeper it sinks, and the more you do it over and over and over again, the deeper that groove's going to get in your brain. And in addition, you're going to see what works and what doesn't work. And you'll be able to adapt. Because I think most strategists get hung up on frameworks, like, oh, I got to go from A, B, C, D, E, and that's the way it's going to be forever. And, you know, it just depends who you learn from, because every strategy is going to have their own Mm -hmm. framework. Granted, there's certain elements that are always there like purpose and vision and mission and values but the exercises to extract information might switch order or might be different exercises therefore to understand the fundamental principles underneath it all is critical and how you apply it is experimental
0: yeah definitely i have make i've been making a lot of these mistakes like the framework one mm-hmm. for me uh, like it gets like I feel like I have to fill this question and I have so many columns to fill. Can yep. you speak really fast? So that's my strategy. Can you, yeah, 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 yeah it was emotional, but can you ask, answer my next question? So <laughs> that's <laughs> I have to yeah. avoid. <laughs>
1: so, I, I yeah. was in the same trap like, oh my God, I got 50 questions to get through. Come on, ready to go. Bah, 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 bah. And you know what? That's not, it's that's definitely a beginner mistake, but you don't know um, in the beginning. You just really don't because you're so focused on the framework and trying to get it right. And to be honest, there is no right way. it's Mm -hmm. really just, as we mentioned before, it's a lot like therapy, take your time, get deep with people, because ultimately it's not so much the questions that get answered as it is the stories they're gonna tell you. Because everything you need to know about them is in stories. Really the questions are more just triggers to get the story out of them. Yeah, interesting, definitely and
0: uh, after the strategy you feel like you have been through their autobiography you've figured out their like what they are about and i think as a like i'm also a brand identity designer so when i do the strategy i think i feel like i know them better and i can design for them better this is true yeah definitely so how do you connect like uh, let's say you create a strategy document how do you transfer these values to a new creator let's say you bring in word
1: Okay, so if I understand you, how do I translate the strategy into like a creative brief Mm -hmm. for the designer? Well, um, there's several ways to do it. What I will lean on the most is what sometimes people call brand attributes because those I think translate the most into visuals and not just visuals but even uh, auditory, I guess you'd say, audio sounds, things like Mm -hmm. that. But that's gonna cover specifically look and feel and the vibe of it all, also really understanding the archetype that fits their brand, because the archetype will be the foundation of the behaviors, of the vibe, the look, everything, visual and expressive-wise, because it's the personality of -hmm. it all, and because it's an archetype, it is a universal personality throughout all cultures, and you can get granular with them and you can uh, combine them to get more, I guess, variations. So those will be the first step. And then making sure you have, I have predefined, I guess, mood boards for every specific archetype that will kind of give you a generic uh, look and feel for a specific personality. Mm-hmm. That kind of helps the designer on, on choosing, I guess, styles but not necessarily following specifically, but at least gives them a visual direction. Uh, In addition, I will give them the story, like the uh, fundamental brand story or discovery story of why they started this this direction. Um, And I do give them the values. I will give them ideally The mission statement, purpose statement, vision statement, specifically vision statements are really good because vision is very visual. So it allows you to see Mm -hmm. more so than purpose. And depending on whether or not I'm doing the copywriting, Mm -hmm. I find the messaging is critical. If uh, you're going to a designer because the whole story is there and the core messaging is there you're expressing everything already in words and when you hand it out to the designer they can just read it and they'll be able to imagine it in their mind already if you're not doing the core messaging it's a little more abstract and the designer has to translate from just snippets versus having a whole story already laid out i'm not much of a copywriter even though i'm working on my copywriting skills and i find storytelling and writing the fundamentals of all creativity it's a very hard skill to develop. Um, Therefore, I usually hire a copywriter. Mm -hmm. And once that's all written out, I find the transition very easy. I find a lot of, excuse me, a lot of strategists and designers don't have writing skills or storytelling skills. Therefore, they kind of skip that point and there's a lot of ambiguity in between the strategy and the design. And there's a lot of interpretation that they have to take. When you have that story, which is the, the bridge in between the two, the story lays everything out and there has the words already there that are specific to the brand where that will trigger certain images or sounds in your mind that you can then easily translate into a design. Mm-hmm. And once the designer has it, I usually have them develop a mood board first. And then from those mood boards, I'll select certain elements and have them escalate that to a stylescape. And the stylescapes should capture the essence of a brand. And usually you can do at least three anyways. Yeah. But that that transition from strategy to brief, I find that the story and the core messaging is the bridge that really lays it out, I think is more important than the brief itself, because it's already taking all the elements of the strategy and expressing it in a story form, which is much easier to translate than just looking at an abstract brief. Yeah, yeah, I
0: think uh, if you are aligned with the story, then it's easy to design for someone.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Also, I forgot to mention, there's also the element of the audience because Mm -hmm. you're not just designing for the brand. You're also designing the brand and the audience to be able to connect. So there's two sides to it because you have to represent the brand and it has to connect with the audience because it can be all brand. I see this a lot with logos. Like all you're doing is dealing with the founder and the owners of the brand. Oh, this is amazing. I want this. I want that. I want this. I want this. And this looks cool. Great. And the audience sees it and they're like, what is that? I don't get it. And they go away. So there has to have that audience connection. So they have to be able to understand it and it still has to look good for the owner. That's why I believe in questioning. Mm-hmm. I, don't say, I don't want to say challenging, but you can push back a bit on the brand owner as to like, oh, I really want this. And you just ask them, well, is this going to help you attract your clients or is your audience going to understand this? And they sit there and think, you know, like, you know what? No, they're not going to understand it. So let's get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, even though you own the logo, the logo is not for you. It's for the audience because it's an expression and they have to be able to consume it and understand it.
0: Definitely. It's necessary for audience to understand your values. Exactly. Let's say there's a debate between going on with the strategist. So some starts with the user journey first and then moves to the vision and vision and values and some Mm -hmm. strategies start with the company's purpose, mission and values, and then they Mm -hmm. drive into user strategy. So what's the like uh, in this approach? Is there any difference or they are going to the same path?
1: Okay, Um, so if I understand you, do you start internally then go external or start Uh externally then go internal? I've had this debate many times with many people (laughs) and I will give you what I believe works best for me. Mm -hmm. I find, because I've done both approaches, What i found is when I'm working with a personal brand, basically an individual, starting internally first, then work your way external, I believe works best because you're working with an individual and you want them to look inside themselves and express themselves first before you go out to the world and understand what the market wants. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with an organization, I believe working externally first works better Because as an organization, it's not an individual, it's a collective of people. And they might not know who they are yet as an organization. Therefore, I will look to the market, specifically the customers first and figure out what the customers want and what their pain points need and make it focused on them. And then from there, look at the competitors. So I do all the positioning first, understanding the problems, and then see if there's a solution match to their offer. And then from there, I will mold the company personality to match the customer without compromising the inner purpose and values of the company themselves, if they even have it. If not, we will Mm -hmm. develop it together. So that's the way I approach. I've seen people do external first on personal brands too and vice versa. I don't think there's a right or a wrong way as long as you get to the end. There might be some nuances in the solution at the end, but ultimately i don't think one's right or wrong over the other i just know what i found works best for me
0: definitely i completely agree with you and that's my belief also that if you are working with the personal brand then you have to have that essence of authenticity and you cannot pull that out without going internal first but exactly with with a big brand you are there to serve your audience you are there to serve your tribe so you'll have to position according to that so i completely agree with you on that Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'll give a caveat with the personal. If you go external first and Mm -hmm. focus on an audience or your ideal client, you run the risk of being inauthentic because now you're bending your personality and everything, your perspective to match them. And then it might not be true to who you are. That's why with personal, I go internal first and really understand who you are first. Then you put that in the world and people will resonate organization, since there's multiple people, it's much easier to mold a personality because it's not one person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And uh, with
0: the personal brand, authenticity is a big factor. But how <laughs> important do you think authenticity is in the, with the big brand? Are you there to just serve? Or like, let's say I give an order to a restaurant and they, feel they give me my order back. That's my transaction. Is it necessary for me to emotionally involve with them? What do you think about that?
1: Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Which brand do you resonate more with? Lenovo or Apple? Definitely Apple. Why is that?
0: I think the answer is obvious with the Steve Jobs and the story
1: and everything around it. There you go. So personality matters because you have an emotional connection to Apple, might be through Steve Jobs, but mm-hmm. he was able to communicate his vision, his values, what things meant to him. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. I want to be a part of that. What does Lenovo talk about?
0: The tech specs I, I don't are known. Fooled. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. I don't know anything about Lenovo other than that their computers are cheap. They have decent specs, but from my experience buying Lenovo's, they're not very reliable. Mm-hmm. So it's I'm comparing, I guess, a commodity to a story mm-hmm. and an emotional connection. That's the difference. That's what branding does for you. Yeah. Vice versa. Like what's like, how, which one would you like more? If I told you to choose, um, thinking I'm thinking, what's that company name? Like say, uh, Mizuno versus Nike. I never heard about Mizuno. So I heard okay. only about Nike. <laughs> I'm trying to pick an abstract, uh, shoe brand. Uh-huh. Uh, I- even like, how about Under Armour? Are you familiar with Under Armour? Yeah. So Under Armour or Nike? I think Under Armour. Oh, interesting. How come Under Armour?
0: I think because I have seen a lot in, in, on the Zoro one and the work with him. So for me.
1: Interesting. I, I was going to assume you're going to choose Nike because they're a stronger brand. But nonetheless, you have something that you connect to. That's the whole point of a brand. It's all about that emotional connection because you're telling a story and people are able to see a personality in the brand that reflects who they are. Therefore, it's a part of their own identity because they feel a part of that tribe. Mm-hmm.
0: And let's talk about the content because as a content strategist, what do you think is the best medium to convey your authenticity, your values, your vibe? Is it post or is it the video? Since I've I, seen- I'm, the... I'm
1: biased on this one because I come from a video background, so I'm gonna uh-huh. say video. <laughs> to me, video is the ultimate medium because it's audio, it's video, And you can see my facial expressions, which you're not going to get in writing. Although I do appreciate writing, but I find a lot of nuances get lost and it's much harder to convey tone and it's much easier to miscommunicate. I do appreciate audio and social audio because you can still get the nuances in my voice, but you're losing Mm -hmm. the facial expressions. And the way humans, from my understanding, uh, from... From listening and studying neuroscience the way humans connect and communicate is primarily body language yeah through gestures hands facial expressions and you're losing that in all mediums with the exception of video and you even lose pieces of it in video because video is not in real life i mean we're not face to face in person so you don't see the mm-hmm. whole space around me and aspects but you can get a good reference of how I look, like my eyes are closed, you know, my, my manners and my gestures. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of body language, unspoken language. I believe it's called NLP, neuro-linguistic yeah. programming. That is a huge part of it. And this is why I like video because you will see new content creators on video. They're like frozen and stiff because they're me. so <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah. And it, it just, you're just like, whoa, what's going on here? Right. And that's mm-hmm. not you yet, you know, cause you're, you're getting used to this new medium that you are not comfortable with. But as you get loose, you kind of hang out and you're like, and your real self comes out. You're like, Hey, how's it going? No, oh, I'm on kit. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Oh, that guy's cool. I'm going to watch him some more. Yeah. It allows your personality to shine more, but it definitely takes time to get over that fear of being in front of a camera. Believe me, mm-hmm. I was the same way because I was so used to being behind a camera for many years. The first mm-hmm. time I was in camera, I was like, "Uh, yeah, um, hi, I'm Richard. This is, you're freaking out because you're talking to this lens that like there's no one else here. It just feels so awkward.
0: Definitely. And I completely like, uh, with the NLP and stuff, that's something really different. I've been trying to figure out more like what makes a person interesting or what makes a story interesting mm-hmm. and why I'm addicted to this story or why I'm addicted to the song. So Ooh. there's some element of that NLP and stuff. And I was having the discussion with my client who is in the psychology background mm-hmm. and he recommended me, you should definitely check this out because it's, it's going to be a big part of your strategy. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, definitely. So do you think that uh, someone m- might say that I'm reading this book called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, mm-hmm. and it includes a lot of techniques like what they call psychological tricks. Mm-hmm. So, how do you think? Uh, let's suppose I'm I'm suggesting someone that these are the best strategies to put your content out and to be more relatable. So, how genuine do you feel that this using these tricks could be, or so you should just go on the camera and uh, be your best self? Or should you use these tactics to convert you convert like on the getting on the metric conversion mode? So how mm-hmm. important do you think that?
1: Uh, and what's the what they call it morality of these tactics? Uh. all right, I'll I'll do my best to answer this. I will say I have not read the book. What's mm-hmm. the difference by Chris Wallace. I am aware of the book and some of the techniques. Um, there's another book that I can complement that one. It's called uh, Oh God, um, Contagious yeah mm-hmm. oh god what's the author's name um uh, jonah near, berger
0: uh, oh I think yeah Jonah Berger. that it's very know.
1: similar mm-hmm. it's a book about persuasion no not contagious um ah oh, god the author's jonah berger he wrote the book contagious but he has a newer book that also mm-hmm. talks about persuasion and the psychology of people purchasing stuff i can't remember the name of it right now it's a yellow cover with like a butterfly on it, i think I'll, I'll get back to you on it great book okay. I've mm-hmm. read that one. I can understand the techniques in that. I think it's very similar to Chris Voss because he does um, mention him and reference his, mm-hmm. Chris Voss and some of the techniques. Therefore, what I would say, in the very beginning, don't get hung up on these techniques. They're, they're kind of advanced. These people are experts who've yeah. been doing this for years and have mastered these techniques. I'm sure in the beginning, they didn't have them either. If you're just starting out, it's nice to read it and be aware. Mm-hmm. Maybe try one a couple times to get the hang of it. But in the beginning, I would say what's more important is just getting comfortable in your own skin in front of a camera if you're doing video, getting comfortable writing if you're doing blogs and articles, get comfortable talking and speaking in public if you're on social audio. Yeah, It's all about getting comfortable first. Once you're comfortable and you relax and you can be yourself, then you can start applying these techniques. Because if you start applying techniques in the beginning, and you're not comfortable yet, it's going to feel very fake and you're yeah. trying too hard. Mm-hmm. Because you are. Because you're like, oh, I got to do this technique, but I'm not comfortable. And you start stressing out and it translates. Yeah. Therefore, just get comfortable first. Do some content, just being whatever medium you choose. Get through at least 10, 15 of them. Loosen up. It's a lot like exercise. You know, mm-hmm. If you're hitting the gym, you haven't been in the gym in years, the first day is going to be rough. The yeah. second day is going to be rough. After two weeks, you're like, okay, I got the hang of this now. Okay, now now let's go lift some weights now or something. Take it up the next notch. Mm-hmm. I would say have those techniques in mind. Yeah. I wouldn't apply them right away unless you're already comfortable with whatever... If you're already comfortable with mm-hmm. whatever medium that you choose. Yeah. Yeah, interesting take.
0: And yeah, if you are like... Uh, and there's a debate on like faking it till making or being authentic so these are the two sides
1: like yeah yeah um i mean there's certain things you can fake till you make uh-huh. but at the same time there, there has to be a level of confidence <laughs> in order to fake it because mm-hmm. if you're not confident you're faking it people will pick up on it real fast and be like ah oh, this dude's full of crap <laughs> <laughs> So you definitely have to have a level of like, yeah, I got this. Like You got to psych yourself up. Like, yeah, I'm going to do this. You know, I don't know it, but I'm going to be confident and I'm going to do it. And if I fail, it's okay. And I think that's the main part of it is not so much the confidence, I guess, as it is the fear of conquering the fear first, because the fear is where the insecurity comes from and the lack of confidence comes from. You got to be able to just like, you know, accept it, let it go over you. Like, okay. It's all right if I fail and just accept it. You know, this is the first time I'm going to do this. I know it's not going to be great, but I'm going to do it anyways. And I'm going to get better every time.
0: Yeah. It's just like getting your first drafts out there.
1: Yeah, so yeah definitely. It's
0: what it is. Okay. So, Richard, it's been a wonderful conversation. I know you have to go. <laughs> and if you please let us know, like, where we can find you on your social or your website.
1: Absolutely. We so, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. I'm going to cut you off. Why don't you go ahead and do that again? <laughs> no,
0: worries, no worries. Please, please. Go ahead.
1: I was going to say, you can find me on Instagram at RichardSellis3, because I am the third. Um, <laughs> you can also find me on Instagram, I'm sorry. You can find me on LinkedIn as Richard i III as like a Roman numeral three. Mm-hmm. And you can find me on Twitter. Everything's pretty much my name, Cellis. In addition, I have a community called the Sphere on Circle. So it could be creasphere.circle.so. And if you send me a DM, if you guys want to have a chat sometime, definitely. And if you want,
0: all the links are will be in the description. So please make sure to check out. He's an amazing guy, and Richard. It's been a wonderful conversation.
1: Yes, it has. Thank you very much for uh, having me. I'm looking Thank forward to. Thank you for joining. The final product. Awesome market.